0: My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with this simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did! and we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends, Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. and you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com and for listeners of the Dig Bible podcast use the code all caps DIG20 whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount enjoy
1: this is Ryan Peterson and you are listening to the Dig Bible podcast we should read our Bible
2: as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time.
1: Or is it? It is the glory of God to conceal things But the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. Man, the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the
2: Bible. We need to bring those back. There's more bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis
0: Oh, yeah. Let's back it up here. I, I love the intro to the show because
1: it's exactly right. There's the nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always sign the show, you, you got to dig it. Dig it.
2: Show us your nuggets.
1: God, our creator, lies outside of time and space and matter. I feel like guys be like, hello, McFly.
2: You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret
1: societies think that they are descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't this it, is it
0: exciting? I mean, you read it,
1: it's like, wow.
2: The Nephilology Roundtable. But these
1: angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not quite $200. You're out of the game.
2: Dirty hands means clean theology, can you? It. What's going on, all my local guys and gals?
1: And long-distance pals.
2: We're back.
1: <laughs> you got me to say it. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, the
2: finger of shame. That was the finger of shame.
1: <laughs> I'll take it. Is what it is. I'm glad we're back. It's always excited. This is time we're actually in the studio, which we... I say studio...
2: Hey, this is our studio. But I say it loosely. Our garage. Our garage. Ben's garage. Ben's <laughs> garage.
1: But uh, it's nice to actually see you guys in person. Um, you know, it, we've been doing a lot um, over uh, the computer, you know, doing that remotely. And it's worked out really well when we have certain guests on and things of that nature. And you guys will see a lot of that in the future here. Um, look forward on YouTube. We've had some really good... Uh, different people looking at some different things, looking at what the world means to them right now, like what everybody needs to hear, Um, things that are happening that are relevant to uh, the past as well as the present. And um, I think that uh, people are going to be really um, moved. They're going to see a lot of amazing things and, and, of course, be entertained at the same time.
2: Yeah, of course, that's what it's all about. That's what I've always said is, I love to learn new things and talk about interesting topics, but I like a good laugh and be entertained at the same time.
1: Agreed, <laughs> and I think that we've definitely accomplished that <laughs> along the way. So sometimes
2: I, inadvertently, you so, might just laugh at our southern accents and then his ridiculous Yankee accent.
1: That's know? true. That's true. It, they do they contrast quite a bit, but. We have a good time. Um, just love having this time together. You know, you talk about fellowship. It's all about, you know, where two or three are gathered in your name. You know, uh, he's in the midst of us. So we hope that he's uh, right here with us uh, as we go through this and we, we do these um, podcasts, these shows, uh, looking into God's word, trying to delve through and, and really find biblical truth uh, we talk about before in proverbs it says you know it is the glory of god to conceal things it's the glory of kings to search things out And we've talked about that a bunch of times and um it's it's truly what our calling is we we talked about this just a couple minutes ago is the gospel is what it's all about i mean that's the main thing is the main thing and after you are saved and you have that conviction and you know that jesus died for you saved you from your sins what's next What do you do? Well, that's four books of the Bible out of the 66 that are there. Those other ones are there for a reason. There's so much, God gives us so much insight. It's such a gift to have his word in front of us, and there's so many different things that you can look into, you can find, you can see. And how many times does he say in the Gospels, if you read through, and he's even talking to the disciples and says, (laughs) You guys have you guys have eyes and you still don't see. You guys have ears and you still don't hear. How what's it going to take for you guys to understand? And this is the people following him. So the whole point is that we have to we have to pray for that discernment and we have to dive into His Word and and we're looking for biblical truth. And um, you know we we delve into these things and we're going to find some interesting things as we go along the way. And today is a really good example of that as we look into. Um, a couple different uh, interesting characters in the Bible that uh, may be more connected than we previously thought.
2: Oh, agreed. Uh, and shout out to uh, uh, one of my buddies. He, he's he got a good podcast you guys might enjoy called uh, Visual Disturbance. But we talked about that the very same concept a while back. And I said, you know, that Christ is foundational. You know, it's what everything is built on. He's the cornerstone. But once you're saved, like you said, you know, you compared it to the question, what's next? You know, I said that that Jesus is, is very important. He's the cornerstone. But metaphorically speaking, that's just one chapter of the book. And it's like there's so much more that you're missing out on. You know, there's so much more to Christianity and the faith than... You are forgiven. You are loved, and a good life coaching sermon on Sunday. You know it's time for us as Christians to to wing ourselves off the milk and onto the meat and turn the page because there's a whole book full of breadcrumbs and adventures for you to to discover.
1: That's very true, and you do a lot of that on your other show as well, the Prometheus Lens, which is a is a, a deep dive into a lot of different things that mm. um, with some great guests as well. So check out, uh, his show as well. The Prometheus lens, a great show. Uh, once again, we still have the mustard seed coming out pretty soon with the ladies, um, really looking into, um, a lot of different, uh, books of the Bible, but also working through some of the women of the Bible and showing their importance and, um, how they, how they took what God called them to do and, and truly glorified him through what they did. So, you're going to see it from every different angle through all the different shows that we can uh, hopefully bring your way. And uh, I hope you really enjoy them. But, uh,
2: girl power,
1: <laughs> but, uh, Jesse, you want to get us started with a prayer?
2: Yeah, sure. Heavenly father. Thank you for today. Thank you for all the many blessings that you give us and thank God for the blessings and the mercy and that we do not get what we deserve because we deserve death we all fall short of the glory of god but through your son jesus christ and his blood shed on the cross that we are forgiven and covered you are our righteousness and thank you for that father thank you for the the fellowship of these fine men and and diving into your word and and going on this this journey of 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 faith and discovery and just learning all we can and, and in the process father just drawing closer to you that that that's what it's all about. that's the end result for me and I know it is for for Ben and Steve too and for the listeners that that listen to us and just go through your word and you know dividing the the word and just we're just so thankful for that especially you know we often think that our country has just turned to just to crap here recently, father, but man, compared to China and some of these other places where they're not even allowed to to have a Bible to read your word we're, we're thankful Father. Just uh, lead and guide us and give us discernment over this word today and message and have it reach those who it needs to reach. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, today, I guess, um, something that uh, me and Justin have both looked into quite a bit, um, the uh, the man, the myth, the legend that is uh, Melchizedek and uh Thought you it's, about
2: to say Derek Gilbert?
1: Well, he is also the man that met the legend. A little bit different, uh, different era. How about that? He's more of a present day. Uh, my, you now, know, Derek's not that old. <laughs> anyway, glossing over, we're gonna look a little bit at Melchizedek and and what the order of Melchizedek was. Um. It's pretty interesting when we're going to look at this from a, a canonical point of view, but then we have some extra biblical sources as well that we'll look at just to kind of shed some extra light on things. We always want to look at it from the Bible from the first point of view, but there is there's a lot of other resources out there. And you have to understand it's just like you read in a history book at school. If you read Josephus or Eusebius or um, uh, Justin Martyr, you know, any of these people, some of these church fathers, these are these are hist- they're not in your Bible. They're history books. These are things that were recorded in history throughout time. And it's no different than you picking up a history book and reading about world war one. You weren't there. That's not in the Bible, but guess what had happened? So it's important to understand that these extra biblical texts, they are history books. They are not what we go by as far as our faith, but what they do is they help support the Bible and they don't, they don't, disprove the Bible all they do is they show the truth that the Bible has and it just strengthens the case for Jesus it strengthens the case for um so many other uh components of this but you do, you do need to, to pray to have that discernment when you're looking at those other sources
2: yeah in the in the words of Dr. Michael Heiser something doesn't have to be divine inspired to be important for cultural and history history and context and, and belief systems of the people of the time that which it was written to.
1: Exactly. And we've said that about Enoch. We've said that about Jasher or uh, the book of Jubilees. Um, there's a lot of stuff there that just works as a. A tentpole. A tentpole. But it's, but it's, and it's a, it just adds on. It just gives you a little more depth and insight. And a lot of things too, we've talked about, you know, Genesis six, four. I, I mean, that's, something that we've always talked about in a lot of podcasts that go down this route, talk about the Nephilim a lot and things of that nature. But when you have only a few verses that explain that it's because everybody at that time already knew what they were talking about because they had those other historical books. So context is everything. Understanding who the writers were writing to understand who those, uh, what those people would have known at that time. Um, it it is so important to understand context
2: context is king no doubt you can see lots of youtubers and podcasters and whatever their thought process is they can mold the word of god in any kind of conversation cut or reel, to to fit their paradigm just by taking a few sentences and saying, oh, yeah, well, your Bible says this, you know, or this person said that. And, yeah, it it might actually be factual, but they cookie-cut all the other stuff around it and behind it, and when you put it all together, it's not how they presented it.
1: No, it's out of context, same as anything. And that's, you know, it's just like getting part of a conversation. You don't get the whole thing you don't understand. So... Anyway, Melchizedek, um, we look at him in the Bible and we, we see him in a few different places. He's, he's brought up a couple of times. Uh, but the first time you really see him is in Genesis 14, right? And this is where we get an idea. We, we get the first view of who Melchizedek was. And I, I'll i read that little section. Um, I'm going to read uh, Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After his return from the defeat of Chedolamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shevan that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's the first time we see him in the Bible.
2: And this was after uh, the king of Sodom offered him the the spoils of war and whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. And he declined it, said that he didn't want anybody to be able to say that, you know, he was blessed because of this king or whatever. He wanted God to get all the glory then turned right around to this other man and gave him a tenth of everything that he had. That
1: mm-hmm. uh, That's, like you said, it's interesting. We see a few different things about him there. One, you see that Melchizedek is called the King of Salem. And interesting, he brought out bread and wine. Obviously, there's a whole other avenue we will go down there as well. But... And then Abram gives them a tenth of everything. Those are the three biggest things that I pull out of there.
2: And also, Charlemander, the, uh, the coalition of the, the five kings, all those uh, tribes and nations that are listed that they went out and conquered were giant clans. That basically they had a, a stranglehold in Mesopotamia in the Fertile Crescent and then these giant clans and kings thought they were so mighty that they could overthrow them and do what they wanted. So Charlemagne grabbed all those other kings together and went out and just uh, spanked all of them. So that should speak to the, the military might of this king. And Abraham brought him down with 300 men.
1: Was it 318 or, or 319 with him, I think it was, something like that? So you see that and you see then and then those those clans would have known you know the god of abram when it talks about you know when we get further down through uh genesis you'll see that how blessed abram was and how the, the that you know our god the god that um you know is uh the god of judaism initially but and that's and i always say this is judaism is where you know that's the that's the um the birthplace of our religion that's the birthplace of what we believe they they take it halfway and then they stop at the messiah but the beginning of that that's that's our religion that's our founding too so this is the god that was there and how much strength he gave abram and how abram believed him right from the get-go that that many men could go and rescue his nephew along with countless other people and bring them back it's it's pretty amazing we kind of lose it's almost like a gideon story where 300 men against the thousands of midianites it's a, a similar kind of scenario when you see that it's just trusting god even when you're the small guy you can take out all these people but when he
2: comes back but one thing that really stands oh, out to me too was like you talked about you know history books and these extra biblical books oh well that's not in our bible well neither is world war ii you know, mm-hmm. or or just you know, whatever example. I know that was after the book was written, but that's just an example. Just because something's not in the Bible doesn't mean it didn't happen. And this is a prime example of that because we only hear of God calling out Abraham as his nation and says, you know, through you know your name, all nations shall be blessed. That's all we hear about. So if we just say if scripture doesn't say it, it doesn't happen, then how do we explain this Melchizedek? whether this is a divine figure, an angel, pre-incarnate Christ, whatever, somebody or something was also called out to, because this Melchizedek worshipped the Most High, the same God as Abraham.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that's actually that's an excellent point to talk about that, because we have to look at, you know, if we can go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, but you see there's a breakdown throughout, you know, Genesis and we're just talking, we're in chapter 14, but so much has happened in that period of time. And so many things have, have perspired to get us to where we are. But those, and you said those giant clans, it's, it's pretty amazing when you look at those giant clans and you see how many times they, they, we see that resurgence, even after the flood, we see that resurgence and you see those, um, you know, with Joshua and Caleb when they go in the promised land and they're talking about, you know, we are ants to them. And we see this and, you know, even then, you know, those other 10 spies are terrified and Joshua's, ah, we can take them. Yeah. Ah, Great clusters
2: them. so big that took, you know, three and four men to carry it. On, on a pole, like yeah. between
1: them. Yeah, it's, it's just unreal. But it, it's just it's such a cool thought to think about the fact that some of these men, you know, Abram being one of them, were so faithful at that, moment that you see and don't don't get me wrong we can see later on in abram and not something we'll get into today but you see that he he definitely had his faults the same as all of us he was a sinner the same as all of us but you know what he always came back to god it's the same you know we talked about david before how many times did david you know fall and always came back to god um it's it's where your heart is it's how you you know how you truly feel but he had that faith that that group of men could go out and take out you know a vast king uh, army of five kingdoms so it's pretty awesome to see but when we go back and we talk about abraham gave him or abram at the time gave him a tenth of everything It's the first time we hear about melchizedek in the bible and it says he was a priest of the most high god and the king of salem and he blesses abram and he who in turn gives him a tenth of everything now i've looked in i've read a couple of books i recently had purchased a couple and went through uh, different books about melchizedek and different theories and different ideas of who melchizedek was um one of the books talks about and we we've, we've we'll hear about the order of melchizedek a little later but this is you know every one of these when we say that they, these priestly orders right there was technically in the bible as far as christianity goes i say christianity i say i should say at the time as far as the um, Israelites go, there's three separate groups of priests. There are orders of priests. There's the, the uh, obviously Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek. There is the Aaronic order, like the line of Aaron, um, Moses' brother, and then there was the Levitical order. Um, but the, oh, I say the the ideas that these books were were talking about. One idea which I thought was was interesting and and it made some sense, but I was reading that they were talking about Adam being the, you know, first, you know, he was the first high priest on earth. He's the first, um, he was perfect at the time. God made him, he would have been the first of the order of Melchizedek. And then, um, over time throughout history, his descendants, certain ones that met, um, they had to be a prophet. They had to be a priest and they had to be a King. Those are the three things that, that, um, we talk when it talks about the Melchizedek, what he was. Oh, was this S-
2: rabbinic tradition or this? Now
1: that's a good question. That I can't tell you exactly. Okay. This is this is strictly based off the books that I read. So and it's so this is more likely more like uh, one person's idea or or their research and how they pulled it. But he said um, those are the three the three set the three things that needed to be in place for them to be that so there was they go down the line and they show these different uh, uh different people that could have been in that role based on they were blessed by this person they were resume blessed by this checklist person. yes exactly it's a resume Indeed checklist. approved with ultimately um landing on shem and the other book uh that i read was st- focused strictly on shem as melchizedek because of the timetable, which Justin actually brought up something to me that that um, is pretty interesting and I, I want him to kind of elaborate on that because most a lot of people do believe that Melchizedek was actually Shem um, after it, it, based on the fact that he still would have been alive at the time that uh, Abram, Actually, was around that age that he would have gone through. He was seventy-five at the time, correct? At the time, that Abraham, yes, was Abraham been seventy-five? And then so that Shem, she if you look was at the timeline,
2: fifty time something. He was just shy of five hundred years old.
1: So, he, and that's, and I can't remember exactly what he said he lived to, but it was over. It was over five hundred. So he gets to that point that he still would have been alive at the time. So they they fit that timetable together to say that. But I, I'm going to defer to you on this
2: one. And this was uh, pretty interesting. I I had read it in a book and actually wrote it down in my Logos Bible Software notes. And I had just like tucked it away and forgotten about it. But uh, recently on the Prometheus lens, I had Doug Van Dorn. And he discussed this in his book, Conspiracy Theory. And I had him on the show talking about that book. And we was just deep diving in. Not only like biblical conspiracies and conspiracy theory, but also, you know, government conspiracies and just, you know, the a big blanket or umbrella of conspiracy. And I had stumbled across that that conspiracy in the Bible about Shem. And it just blew my mind like I just forgot about it. So I talked to him about that on the show. So all credit for this goes to Doug Van Dorn. Uh, and you can read about it extensively in his book or listen to that episode to get all the the deets on that. But basically, he wrote that there was a conspiracy that's been proven in the Bible that was uh, constructed by the Jewish rabbis in the genealogies of Genesis 11 after the Tower of Babel that ties into this. Uh, So... If we go into uh, the second mention in the canon of Melchizedek, which was uh, Psalms 110, and when you read that it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning of the dew of your youth will be yours. And the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So when you look at that, it says, you know, the Lord says to my Lord. There's two there. So, you know, this shows what uh, Doug refers to as the two Yahwehs or the two powers in heaven theology that the ancient Jewish people had. You know, the Lord says to my Lord, and it says that he sits at the right hand. Well, who sits at the right hand? Jesus. Jesus. You know, and it says, who wears the holy garments of the priest now? Jesus. Jesus. Just like Sunday school. The answer's always Jesus. It works! (laughs) But according to the book of Hebrews, which we'll touch on later, you know, this was Jesus. So then we get this association to Melchizedek here, and again in the book of Hebrews. You know, so to reinforce this view, let's just go to the destruction of Sodom. Genesis 19, 24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. You know, and the Bible says, you know, where well, there's two or more witnesses, you know, fact. So here, this shows you that, you know, that they believed in this two Yahweh's, this two powers in heaven. So again, on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord of earth, Jesus, rained down from the Lord of heaven. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, were uh, there were found texts that aligned this Melchizedek with the heavenly being, Michael, which his name means, who is like Yahweh. You know, this could be a question or a statement. It's not clear. But Deuteronomy 32 says they divided the nations amongst the sons of God. You know, what is the son of a king? The Pierre. Yeah, a prince, right? He's a prince, yes. So what does the book of Daniel say about Michael? He calls Michael your prince, referring to Israel's prince. He's the next to be crowned king. So the book of Hebrews says that the order of Melchizedek was greater than the Levite priesthood. And with any change in the priesthood, there's always a change in the covenant. So, with this two Yahweh's view, many Jews were transitioning to Christianity, and the rabbis just wouldn't stand for this. So, Doug found that when you compare the Masoretic text with the Greek Septuagint, you see stark contrast to the genealogies. Also, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, the scribes changed the sons of God, the Bnei Elohim language, to the sons of Israel, making these figures humans. So then in Genesis 11, the Septuagint added 100 years to the lifespans of seven individuals. And you can see this when you compare the two texts side by side. And that's a total of 700 year difference. Why? To make Shem old enough to be present during the time of Abraham. So they could say Melchizedek was Shem. Normal human man. No divinity, nothing to see here. So, according to that, Shem died 500 years before Abraham was even born. They changed the text to dissociate Melchizedek with Jesus, thus stopping the conversion of the Jewish people. With so much division in the body of Christ, it's important to come to one accord when you can.
0: That's why most denominations agree that the Better Insurance Agency is the right choice for your insurance needs. At the Better Insurance Agency, we care enough about your home and auto insurance to
2: push through doctrinal disputes. Because when it comes to the gift of good coverage, there's no cessation here. So head to the www.thebetterquote.com
0: to begin switching to the Better Insurance Agency, currently available only in Virginia and Tennessee.
1: That's nuts. I mean that is crazy to see that and I mean what does it say in uh is it Revelation that says those who uh change this text.
2: Yeah.
1: Oof. They
2: I didn't wouldn't, want to let that power go.
1: I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be them when uh judgment day comes. But that's pretty amazing. So if we can if we can look at this and, and we take this and, and really look and say, okay, we can see that Shem obviously is taken out of the picture there. Shem is not Melchizedek. And we're seeing that the purpose, and this happened throughout history, and sometimes people thought they were doing it for the right reason because they didn't want to have this divinity, um, you know, kind of like Jesus' divinity or God's divinity have any shadow cast upon it. So they would change these these, um, the, the idea or the terminology to be more human than divine. The same thing we talk about with Deuteronomy 32, eight, when it says the sons of God, this is a, you know, and we could go on for this for days. And we actually started our whole show based on this and, and Michael Heiser's unseen realm. And that's where our common ground was that got us down these rabbit holes and started letting us see the Bible in a whole new view. But when you, take the supernatural out of the Bible it doesn't make sense you gloss over things that just don't make sense if you put it back in there and you put it in the way that was intended in the context that it was written and to the people it was written to truth is there truth is in front of you and you can see so much more clearly the whole story the whole picture so when we look at Melchizedek and what you were talking about with Psalms And then we go into uh, Hebrews 5, 5 through 7. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where's that other place? As it says in another place, (laughs) you are the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's pretty interesting. Is he talking about a little later in the Bible, or is he talking about Psalms?
2: I mean, it's, it's a direct reference, I believe.
1: It makes sense. Now, it gets even more interesting as we read a little further into Hebrews, right? Let's, right here, Hebrews seven one through ten. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother, mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the son of God he continues a priest forever see how great this man was to whom abraham the patriarch patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants of levi who receive priestly office have a commandment in the law to take ties from the people that is from their brothers though these also are descended from abraham but this man does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who has the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid ties through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So much to unpack there.
2: So like the the Southern phrase goes when you were just a twinkle in Abraham's eye.
1: So how would he have known him when he was a twinkle in Abraham's eye?
2: (laughs) How would he have known
1: him? When I, when, when God knew you, when you were in the womb, right he knew the hairs on your head he could he could tell you exactly what was going to happen god knew you he knit you together in the womb pretty interesting he's without father or mother i think also pretty interesting when it says his name you know when we say melchizedek is king of righteousness a king of righteousness does not sound like someone that's imperfect or as a sinner. I'm just going strictly off of the language, the verbiage. Um, Or the adjectives, I should say, but does not make sense that you would say someone, a king of righteousness could not be somebody that's impure. When you go a little further, it says he's king of Salem, which actually means king of peace. Well, if you go back a little bit into, um, go into Isaiah... You know, when there's a, when you have a son, right? You know, who's the son of the king? I think you brought that up before. Yeah, prince. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Salem. I think we're seeing... A little bit of a connection there at least in in my eyes we are but the other part that is really important is that Salem right we we, he says it's the king of Salem we look at Melchizedek king of Salem and it talks about him being the king of Salem in Hebrews again as well as well as it did in Genesis Salem translated and believed by most scholars means Jerusalem not just it means Salem so it, it is truly God's holy city Right. Yeah. So we're seeing that connection. Um, also, if you look at the when you break down Melchizedek or Melchizedek, however you want to say it. I know there's, there's going to be some debate on that. There always is on how we pronounce everything. And honestly, we never pronounce things the same on this show. <laughs> but uh, if you break down the name in Hebrew, it comes from two different words. It's just Malik, which means to reign and Zedek, which means either right or righteousness so meaning king of righteousness you see that breakdown i think that's really important to understand that you this is why would why would abraham given him a tenth of everything he had
2: and i think it's because he knew him because when you look you know it says the angel of the lord always appeared to abraham talked to him announced the, the birth of, of his child he breaks bread with the angel of the Lord and two other angels before they go into Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. He was called out, you know, by God or the angel of the Lord. So it's like he has seen this, in my opinion, he has seen this person before. He knew who he was. That's why when he walked up, he just gave a 10th of everything because he knew who he was. And, when you go through like Exodus and stuff, it always talks about the angel of the Lord goes before them in battle and slays these giant clans and produces storms and goes in front of them as a pillar of fire, at, you know, uh, and a cloud of smoke and all these things. And even God says, I will not go with you into this new land because I'll kill these people. Mm-hmm. And he begs. Please, please don't depart from me. He said, well, I will send my angel, for my name is in him. Well, just like we talked about Michael, who is like Yahweh. Michael is depicted as a, a soldier. And if you look at princes, when you, uh, all these old movies and stories of these kingdoms, the king don't ride into battle, but his sons do the king sits back and watches, but the prince, he, he's out there proving his worth, out there in battle. Mm-hmm. And so when they wanted to get Saul, they wanted their own king. It's like they were rejecting Michael, slash Melchizedek, slash Jesus. Always, you know, just seeing it that way, it was just a, you know, because he was their king and priest.
1: I mean, I think it's, to me, it's spelled out pretty plainly. Um, Once again, like I say, this is, you know, we we sit here and we try to break this down the best we can. We look at the Word. We're trying to, um, you know, use that discernment that God gives us. You know, if you have eyes, see, if you have ears, ears, hear. Our whole goal is to break this down and try to find the truth in these things. We have to look at the correlations, have to look at the different places this stuff is mentioned throughout the Bible. And I want to go a little further and talk about, if we go back and go to Psalm 76, and I don't know if you have this one down or not, it's just, I'm taking this back a little bit. And we're, we were talking about Salem. And Psalm 76 starts with, In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode is has been established in Salem. His dwelling place in Zion. So not going too far here, but if we're going to talk about the king of Salem and God lives there, I don't think there's a human king over God. I Just saying. I, I understand that there was kings of Jerusalem, kings of Israel. You know, we see that throughout history, but we see these connections, these blatant connections to that name, Salem, and we see that God, that's his abode. That's where he lives. That's where he resides with his people at this time.
2: And David basically relinquishes the, the the throne back to the Son of God because Saul took it, and what did Saul do? He tried to be the king and priest, did he not? He, he was impatient, couldn't wait for Samuel to get there for the battle, so what does he do? He takes it upon himself to do the sacrifice, and God cuts him off, and that's when he's done with him and puts in David. And then when you get to Psalms 110, what does it say? The Lord says to my Lord, mm-hmm. it's like you know I I'll sit here and be the 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 puppet, but you are the King and Priest.
1: So if we go a little further, we we see Melchizedek brought up. We talked about through Psalms, which you brought up. Um, we see a lot through Hebrews um hebrews especially is like one of
2: my favorites
1: it's a great book
2: i well listen that slaughters the whole hebrew roots follow the law acts stuff.
1: acts romans and hebrews those three i think truly are, are they give us this is right after jesus this is right after these are the apostles most of them that were there were with him most of the ones that are i mean paul was not with him but he met him on the road to Damascus. Everybody else that was part of that, you know, Paul was with Peter at times and they talked, these things happen. We see that, you know, these, these people had a very, they were in the time, they were there at the time. And we see a very real, real, like how... God would have wanted things to go going forward. I, we said that about Acts. That Acts is like the, the blueprint of how we should live as Christians. We see, Romans is such a good book when you look at how it just continues on that path and then into Hebrews gives us so much knowledge in that same way that breaks down like this is the truth. This is how things are. You know what? The new covenant's been established, and, and we see so much through there.
2: And the thing is, too, is I look at it, it's not that even really that it's a new covenant. It's the original. The original covenant, he says, be fruitful, be, mul- you know, multiply. And then they come out of Egypt, and they're given the the Ten Commandments. But as soon as he, he don't even make it down off the mountain, <laughs> they're sacrificing, or not sacrificing, but they're casting... Uh, golden calves and start committing these, these sins and stuff and that's when all these laws start coming. If you look mm-hmm. without exception every single law that came about was because of transgression, sin, and or disputes among the people because of their lack of righteousness.
1: And they didn't have the Holy
2: Spirit at the time. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, where christ came was the ultimate sacrifice now the levitical priesthood of fallen man is gone and we have the order of melchizedek jesus who is a priest forever he is our covering he is our righteousness so we are back to the the original thing before sin and transgression
1: we went through and we talked a little bit Obviously, we got through Melchizedek, Obviously, showing that this is a divine being. I think we've pretty much established that from what what our belief is. Mm. Um, once again, we talk about this. You can disagree. That's fine. It doesn't. I mean, this doesn't change anything. This is a non salvation issue. This is just us delving deeper into what we believe the God, the Word of God is telling us when we're reading it, what we're seeing, all these different uh, the information. And I think these things all they do is help strengthen our faith. Is that we're seeing the connections in the Bible? We're, there's there's a there's never been a book, other than the Bible, that has been alive.
2: So many cross references. Go- that
1: picture yeah. is that Jordan Peterson had uh, that shows all the different places that the Bible is cross-refer. I mean, it, it's just it's insane. It looks like the most insane rainbow you've ever seen of, of these different connections shown going back and forth. Um, it's just a. I'm sure it's posted. I'm sure on our. Um, Facebook feed for The Dig, If I'm sure somebody's posted that a couple times on there. It's amazing to look at. I think I've posted it at least once. But it's one of those things, it's just a constant reminder of how that living word is there, and it's important that we keep diving into it. Are, is, is, are we going to always be right about everything? No. Is anybody ever going to be right about anything that uh, that's here on earth? No. But the thing is, we're given a gift. We're supposed to dive into it. We're supposed to look into these things. It's what God wants us to do um
2: oh and one more point just while you're looking through that uh talking about you know the coming back from sinai and and you know jesus being the high priest forever and all this you know it says that you know he's at the right hand of the father one thing that i thought was uh really cool through some studies was when you get into Zechariah, when satan is accusing the high priest you know, a earthly priest, you know, he's accusing him in front of the Father. It says that he's at the right hand of the Father. So, and then you get to Revelation 12, the war breaks out. Uh, Satan and his angels are, are thrown out. It specifically says because there was no place for him and then the first time we see Jesus, he comes in as a lamb that was slain and he enters at the right hand of the Father and takes the scroll. That is why there was no place for him because Jesus took it. We went, in my opinion, from a, a high priest that was constantly accusing the brethren day and night at the right hand of the father to Jesus interceding and taking up and defending us and covering us at the right hand of the father day and night it's it's i'll take that trade any day
1: any day Oops, sorry um so I'm going to go into Jeremiah 23, and we talked a little bit about that. Jeremiah actually goes into some of the um, uh, uh, the divine counsel stuff. We talked about the shepherds that uh, we see, the old shepherds that are, have, have basically ruled unjustly, as we hear in Jude and things of that nature, and new shepherds are put in their place. But
2: Psalm 82.
1: Yeah, Psalm 82, which is phenomenal. There, there's just so many different connections in these things, but it says... Jeremiah 23 5 behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch he shall reign as king and deal wisely he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness what was Melchizedek
2: yeah king and priest
1: the king of righteousness, the literal translation, the king of righteousness. We're seeing this, these connections, these, these leaps that we see, and we can see them in so many different parts of the Bible where it brings us back to Melchizedek again, being Jesus, not just the fact that Jesus was part of that line. Because it does say he's, a, you know, a a, a priest, uh, the high priest forever after the line of Melchizedek. Would you compare Jesus back to an imperfect line? Would you re, would you compare Jesus back to the oh, you're just like the line of Levi? No, it
2: had to be perfect to be in comparison with him. Yeah. Otherwise, they, they would try to compare the incarnate Christ.
1: They would try to compare that line back to Jesus, not Jesus back to that line. That wouldn't make any sense. You're not going to compare the perfect Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, to an imperfect group of people. The order Melchizedek was most likely something so much greater. And I, I actually believe even Melchizedek, because being king of righteousness, and we've talked a little bit about this with with some names even being a title, right? We've talked about Satan, Satan is the accuser. That's a title put on someone. He's almost like the prosecuting attorney in a way, right? He's the accuser. I believe Melchizedek could be looked at the same way as a title. He is the king of righteousness. So many of God's names are titles. They're God and a descriptor. And there's, there's, you could look at, um, uh, so many different names that we have. You know, you hear uh, Jehovah Jair, Jehovah Nasai, Jehovah Salome, and it's God is this. God is great. God is love. God is peace. God is, there's so many different variations. And it's not saying this is the name of God. It's saying God is whatever we need him to be. He's amazing. He's, he's ultimate. He's all being. He's all powerful. God's names are titles. Are
2: aspects. They're different aspects. reputations of God. Yeah. It's his
1: reputation. Yes. How many times have we talked about that? It's God's reputation yeah. that Ha-shem. we talk
2: about. Hashem. Every time you hear it in the Bible, you know, where it says, you know, the name above all names. You know, every time you see the word name, 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 name for all the people that are, you know, sacred name people, you know, so focused on pronouncing the, the name right and power in the name that in Hebrew is Hashem. L O R D in all caps. That is the divine name. So when you're reading Hebrew, it's Hashem, the Hashem that is above all Hashems. So you know, context is king. If you read into that, a lot of times it's saying the character, the characteristics of God. God's character is above reproach. Trust in there, you know, trust in His Hashem, His name, because He's faithful. Look at the Red Sea, the pulling people out of Exodus, the, the miracles and the deliverance from Babylon. It's just time and time again. It's, it's uh, you know, I hate to use uh, the Tommy Boy reference, but, you know, that's the, the guarantee on the box. <laughs> you know, it's only as good as the guarantee on the box. Well, what did he say? Well, if you want me to take a crap in a box and mark, mark it guaranteed, I will. I got spare time. But for your daughter's sake. You better trust in Jesus.
1: True story. We can keep taking that so much further in the way that if that truly is a title, you know, king of righteousness, we see what it says. It doesn't, you know, it it truly says king of righteousness. And we're looking at more of a divine order. Like Jesus is truly after the order of Melchizedek. I think that we're looking at the true name, the true depiction of the divine council. I think we're looking at, and potentially God's laying it right on the floor. The order of Melchizedek could quite literally be when we talk about the sons of God in heaven, his divine council in heaven, when God sits among the other gods, the Elohim, right? The the Elohim sits among the Elohim, This is the order of Melchizedek. This is the holy. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. He is holy. He's perfect. We're talking about divine beings. My idea on that one, but it just seems to me like that fits the bill. Could I be wrong? Yeah. But to me, it makes a lot of sense. But going a little, we're gonna go a little bit different direction. We're gonna we're gonna throw a curveball in here, and Justin brought it up a little bit before. And we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, especially in. Uh, I want to say it was the Book of Melchizedek in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Is that correct? That that talks about Melchizedek.
2: I'm not quite sure what the name of it is, but yeah, it's covered in there. The the whole uh, Melchizedek being aligned with uh,
1: christ and that's that's pretty amazing, but i want i want to look at so I, once again thinking Melchizedek potentially could be just be a title could be a name
2: or I'm sorry it lines him with the archangel michael
1: that's that's kind of where the direction I was going but if you look at um the i guess the idea that um Melchizedek could definitely be uh, the, the pre-incarnate Christ, that's Jesus prior. And even if it is a proper name, whatever you want to say, the name Jesus was not his heavenly name. That's a name given to him here on earth. You know, we don't even have, you know, our heavenly names will be something different than they are now. You know, we will, we will have different names when we get there.
2: You're given a white stone with your new name. Exactly.
1: So Jesus name when, when, and I think I thought about this yesterday, and I think if you go back and you look when Jesus is uh, about to be born, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit coming over uh, coming over Mary and Mary becomes pregnant. But what, is, what does the angel say to Mary? He says, you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, that would make sense. Now he's going to be on earth. So truly God was with them in the flesh. So yes, it's his earthly name. I'm
2: and his birthday fell on the Feast of Tabernacles is where when they celebrated that the Ruach, the Spirit of God, dwelt amongst his people. So therefore another foreshadowing of spiritual dwelling and then now physical dwelling manifested in the flesh.
1: Just it's amazing how these things line up. I mean, I think the keys to the car are in the ignition and you're turning it on. It's just, it lines up. It's there. It, it makes sense. Now, going back into the Michael idea, which is um, something that's newer to me, but I wanted to look into this. And, and, and I know Justin had talked about it a bit before. I would challenge and, and sit there right now and, and ask yourself right now, how many times is Michael mentioned in the Bible? You know, I think that the majority of Christians, I would say almost every Christian knows the name Michael, knows Archangel Michael. He's, you know, he's such a big name, a big idea. We think we know this. You know, he's a conqueror. He's a warrior. He's all these amazing things. How many times is he mentioned in the Bible? How much, what information do we get about Michael? Ask yourself that question. I'll answer you. Five times. Five times. We have three in Daniel one in Jude and one in Revelation that, that he's mentioned. Now, Daniel, we just talked about Acts and uh, Romans and Hebrews being such great books. Daniel's amazing. I mean, I, I guess every book in the Bible is amazing. I, I can sit there and I can read Malachi every day. It's just, it doesn't matter. You, every book's amazing. There's something in there in every book. But Daniel, how prophetic it is, and even to the point where it says, you know, close this up until a later time, because it's meant for a later time. Um, so we're seeing prophecy for the future, but what do we know about the Archangel Michael? And I guess let me read just a couple of verses about Michael as soon as I find where my page is. There we go. So Daniel 10: thirteen, and you brought some of this up before. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And then Daniel ten twenty-one. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Daniel 12, 1 at that time shall arise michael the great prince who has charge of your people and shall be a t- and there shall be a time of trouble such has never been seen since there was a nation till that time and then jude 9 but when the archangel michael contending with the devil was disputing the body of moses he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said that the Lord rebuke you. And then Revelation 12, seven and eight. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That's the five times Michael's mentioned. Now, we see he's plainly called the archangel by, uh, by Jude, but and it's what all it,
2: monarch stuff. It is, you know. What I mean, it's all either territory disputes or war, mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of people miss the whole contending of the body of Moses. That was Deuteronomy thirty-two at work, the dividing of the nations amongst the sons of God. Well, this shows you that Satan got a portion. And if you read, Moses didn't make it into the Holy Land. He died in the land of Bashan, the land of the serpent, where the serpent mound is, where Mount Hermon is, where the Via Maris road run through that David walked through and called the valley of the shadow of death. Yes. So Moses died on his property. So that's why he thought he held claim to the body of Moses. And what's funny, too, is you see Psalms 110 in that interaction. What does he say? The Lord rebuke you. So the Lord says the Lord rebukes you. The whole two powers, the, the two Yahwehs. the Michael, the one who is like Yahweh. So spot on.
1: You got to look at it. He's, he helped another spiritual be another angel fight, uh, either a, well, a, a fallen angel. One of those principalities that we talked about, the Prince of Persia, he had to help fight him. So Michael can come in An angels fighting against this one and he can't take him. Michael comes in and takes care of business. He's greater than an angel comes in, takes care of business. So that angel can get a message to Daniel. Right? We see that.
2: And what earthly ruler, because some people say, oh, this is an earthly king, a prince of Persia. What earthly ruler can withstand and hold an angel of God for three days that Michael, Jesus himself, has to show up?
1: Yeah. Next, we see Michael, prince of Israel. Right? Prince of Israel. Now if we think about the prince what is the prince right the prince is the he's the heir right the king is the is the one that owns everything he is the master of everything but the the prince is the heir he he gets the inheritance
2: the birthright
1: the birthright well, we've seen, we could see other stories, uh, Jacob and Esau, things of that nature, where we can see those uh, same things happening in the Bible, where you see how important those things are, that inheritance, that birthright, those things that, that are such a big part. Um, I'll get into that a little more in a second. But Michael was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. So Satan being the, the Lord of darkness, you're going to just send one of your angels down there? Or you're going to send The chief? the prince down to deal with him and then in the in that last one in in, in uh, revelation it says michael and his angels do the do the angels belong to michael i mean we could be looking at maybe it's you know his team his side his whatever but if you look directly at the context that it says there and there could be translation things i understand that but when we look at possession of something when we say that's mine if i say you know hey that's 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 his car well that belongs to you right that's a thing so if it's his angels we're seeing that michael is over those angels those angels belong to him and and there's only one person that created the angels
2: and it says yahweh is the lord of hosts it means the, the lord of armies mm-hmm
1: And that gets brought up in Revelation. What belongs to the king belongs to the prince. So we go back to the thing that Michael is the prince of Israel. If we go to Exodus 34, 9, it says, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us for your inheritance. Right? Right. Deuteronomy 420, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace uh, out of Egypt to be the people of his own inheritance as you are this day. I, I can keep going with those. I have inheritance things all day long. You can look up the word inheritance and in logos and find 5 million references. It's all over the place. And in Isaiah 19, uh, 24 and 25, in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed saying, blessed be my people in Egypt and Assyria, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. It's just nonstop. The inheritance, so Israel was his people. It was his allotment, his chosen. But the inheritance goes to the son, the prince. The prince of Israel was Michael. I truly think we're seeing one of the Christophanies.
2: And then in the book of Revelations, people miss the the imagery. That book is a coronation of a new king. You have the... Uh, the, the divine council, you have the subjects showing up, giving praise. He takes the throne. A crown, a crown is bestowed. And then you have the, the wedding feast imagery. The, the, the new king is married to his bride. Then you have the celebration feast of the coronation of the new king. And when he shows up, he shows up on a, a white horse with a sword, as the as the conquering king and the, the, the name plate on his thigh, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. I mean the imagery is just all there for those to see.
1: It's it's amazing to see the connections that come through the Bible and what we see there. We see Melchizedek interacting with Abram. We see, you know, multiple times we see angelic beings or we see God, you know, interact with different individuals throughout the Bible. We see this, you know, as we go along, we, we see this, you know, we see Michael, this character or character, this archangel, we see him interacting, um, with with the devil. We see, there's just, you can keep going along these lines, but when we get to, All this put together is that I think you can see that connection from Melchizedek to Jesus to Michael and see that potentially that's all the same person. And if you look at Michael. He's he doesn't appear. Well, Jesus is on Earth or we don't have any record of that. Right. So Jesus, when he's in the flesh, is here. He's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We don't hear about him again until we get to Jude, which, once again, we're talking more prophetic to the to the end of days when we get to Revelation. But before that, we're talking Daniel when he was actually there doing these things. So the timelines match up, the way that things look, it all kind of fits together, and it just makes sense that you see these pieces of the puzzle all fall together.
2: And it's like characteristics associated to the name. For just an example, my wife has told me that, you know, that I'm, you know, kind, sweet, loving, and tender. She said, but I'm the only person in the kids that get to see that.
1: You're right. So,
2: yeah. So it's like (laughs) that shows you the characteristics and how you act to certain people and that associates to your character if my wife or my kids said those things to someone else outside the home but you know they wouldn't identify with that or believe that and growing up in high school my nickname was jb you can tell and my wife's even mentioned this you can tell how long somebody's known me by how they address me she says, "You know if we're out somewhere and somebody comes up, hey J b she said, "I know right away they knew you in high school because nobody now that you've met in your adult life calls you that. So when people that knew me then and don't know me now when they mention j b oh j b yeah, he's wild as hell. he's crazy. he'll fight anybody man he'll 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 do whatever drink or drug you put in front of him. that ain't me now. That was a characteristic of, of me and what I used to be. My family calls me Rod since I was a little kid. They think of a little hellion always up to mischief. That's not me now. Uh, that's kind of how I see that. It's like God is God. Jesus is Jesus. But when he's embracing you and comforting you and and relating to you. He's Jesus. When you're going through spiritual battles and the devil's coming after you, you don't need that that hug and somebody tell you it's all right. You need that guy on the white horse with the sword to, to slay and cut the head off the dragon. That's Michael, but it's still Jesus. You know, it's just, that's just how I see it. It's just, you know, same person, just names and, and characteristics and portrayals of the same person and or entity.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think that sums it up really well. Um, I had, I mean, I'm just going to reiterate once again, these are our ideas. These are, I mean, this is not, it, we're taking scripture and we're taking, you know, everything that we see there and, and try to put all the puzzle pieces together. I want anybody who would view otherwise, which I, I, like I said, I, I, I know not everybody's going to agree and that's fine. I don't, that doesn't bother me in the least. And I hope that you can sit there and say, you know, all that wants to make you do is to jump into your Bible and, and dig deeper and, and find the truth for yourself. If you find something different or you find something that leads you to believe something else, share it with us. Let us know. I, th- this is how we grow as Christians as we bounce these ideas off each other. We want to grow. We want to be stronger. We want to have a, a, a stronger faith. And we're always founded in the gospel, always founded in the gospel. We do not negotiate salvation issues, but the non-salvation issues, these things where we jump in, where there's some question, where there's, there's things, there's mystery for us to seek out, we're all going to have difference of opinion and that's okay. But dive into your Bible, keep looking, keep searching, because my gosh, God's got a lot to tell you. There's so much there, and it's amazing. So in the meantime,
2: keep digging.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Any questions, concerns, future episode ideas, please reach out and let us know. In the meantime, be on the lookout for the Mustard Seed brought to you by Liz, Keisha, and Leslie as they take a deep dive into the women of the Bible and give you a perspective that only a woman can. Also, Bible studies and so much more information that will help you along your spiritual journey. Keep listening to The Prometheus Lens, Justin's newer show that's really taken off. Great guests, great entertainment. It's a hero's journey, and you're all invited. But in the meantime, the Dig Bible Podcast is going to take a hiatus for the holiday season. We're going to be celebrating our Savior's birth and spending some time with our families. Be on the lookout for new material, new guests, And so much more coming in the 2024 season as we move on to our third season. Yes, our third season, and that blows my mind. But thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a great Christmas from your family at the Dig Bible Podcast.